Welcome back to Ballistic Chronicles. This is Gary Lewis. I'm your host. This is where we talk about rifles and ammunition, best bullets. We talk about people in the shooting sports industry, and we reach out to some of the best hunters. Today, we've got an interesting conversation with Barry Dyer. He's the founder of Elk Research Institute and Elk Quest, lives in Colorado. We were on a hunt and it was the middle of the day and all I wanted to do was take a nap, but Barry Dyer had stopped into camp and I said, hey, we got to sit down, get a microphone on this guy and uh, learn about chronic wasting disease and elk, elk hunting, what hunters do wrong. So we cover some interesting topics. I think you're going to like this one. People have been asking, where do we watch Frontier Unlimited? That's the television show. And uh, Frontier Unlimited is available on broadcast and cable channels throughout the country. It's available on streaming services. And like Hunt Channel, huntchannel.tv, click on shows, click on Frontier Unlimited and watch to your heart's content. It streams there six times a week. You can find our coffee. I'm drinking Fishing Central Oregon Reserve Roast right now. You will love this coffee. You'll drink it all the rest of your life. And it's a dark roast. It's excellent. Okay, you can also catch Frontier Unlimited on YouTube at Gary Lewis Outdoors. And we're also posting shows from Out of the Vault from Gary Lewis Adventure Journal. And you can find us on Instagram at Gary Lewis Outdoors. This wonderful bumper music we're using here was created by Dave Jones. And he put just the right amount of distortion in that stuff. You might hate it, but I like it. Hey, 27 Nosler. That's what I'm going to be hunting with this year. And I'm hoping to get one of those new Nosler suppressors to put on the 27 Nosler when I take it for wild boar. and whitetail and mule deer hunts this year if i draw the mule deer hunts i'm looking for latest book is bob nosler born ballistic you can find it at nosler.com garylewisoutdoors.com and amazon barry i haven't seen you in a little while it's been a few years hasn't it yeah yeah Yeah. but the, the first time we got together got to hunt together was in 2012 and i look back in my files and i thought whoa that's been a long time that has been a while yeah yeah do i look any different no you look the same okay good we came out to durango and we got to learn about elk quest and the elk research institute which you founded when oh guys maybe back in um oh about year 2000 Mm mm-hmm and uh, John Dustin, our mutual friend, was on your board of directors. He sure was, yeah. Yep. And in back in those days, chronic wasting disease was the topic in Western hunting, but also you know across the country. Mm-hmm. And it had mm-hmm. been found in Colorado, Wyoming, Wisconsin, to name a few. And I think. Mm-hmm. It's probably been found in more than twenty states. Yeah, I think you know. I'm 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 not exactly sure, but I think twenty five states and probably three Canadian provinces. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, Canada's dealt with it. And and now it's in several of the European countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so and really on both ends of uh, of kind of 
uh, Asia, you know, from oh, Korea, okay. clear, clear over to um, Norway and Sweden and, and Finland. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And in those years, the early 2000s, there was a lot of money available for research on chronic wasting disease. People were taking it seriously. I mean, there were people who were frightened, super frightened that the entire herds of deer or elk were going to be lost. Yes. This. Yeah. 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 So it's a chronic wasting disease is a spongiform encephalopathy. Did I say that right? Encephalopathy. Yes. Yeah. The, the truly for for people to understand it, they have to uh, we may, maybe need to reduce it a little more. Um, it's caused by a, a prion protein. And uh, originally the word prion was coined for the, for the rogue version of this protein. But all uh, mammals basically have this, this protein. And frankly, um, they're not sure of all of the functions that this prion uh, you know, maybe, maybe does in the body. But in these uh, spongiform encephalopathies, what happens is that this prion misshapes, this, this protein misshapes, and it attracts other healthy proteins, and it causes them to misshape and to uh, attach to each other. And what happens is then you get these big masses of, of this unhealthy protein, and it interrupts the normal neurological functions. Normally in a body, when something goes rogue like this, you have enzymes or something that comes along and attaches it and it takes it out. But in this particular case, it doesn't. So uh, the spongiform uh, verbiage, is, it really means that the, the, the brain has got these vacuoles, these holes in it, which interrupt the, the, the neurological functions. And that's what really kills the animal. Mm. So we have lost large numbers of animals to this. And, and in some cases, biologists said, hey, let's, let's try to wipe out some of these herds that we know have this. And so that's caused major damage to hunting and, and wildlife management in a bunch of Western states. Look, the, the there's Midwestern states too. I yeah, yeah. The, 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 there's so much about this disease that we didn't know back then and we still don't. But one of the ideas was when uh, the disease first gets introduced into an area, if you go in and you kill all the animals, then in theory, you will keep it from spreading because we know this disease passes horizontally as well as vertical vertically so between the uh, mother to the offspring is one way but uh, also through a nose-to-nose -nose contact mm. and, and things like that but I think what we didn't realize back then was the environmental contamination factor oh so you uh, this this infectious agent this misshaped prion um, comes out of the body in forms of urine or feces or saliva uh, semen um, and uh, it, it, it gets into the environment and it can actually tie up with different clays. And sometimes uh, with, it ties up and it becomes actually about 800, 800 times more infectious, according to some scientists. Back when we were trying to eradicate all of the cervids from a particular area to try to stop this disease, we weren't taking into, into account the environmental contamination. So what happened was 
then when healthy animals got back into that environment, they were picking up this prey on. Mm. And because it's not a living organism, it's not a virus, it's not a bacteria, you can't kill it. It, it stays in the environment for years and years. Mm. Okay, so you had a small herd of elk. Yes. And you learned about this and you, you really poured yourself into it and began to breed for resistivity to chronic wasting disease. Yes. And that was what became the Elk Research Institute. Yes, we, we, we formed the, the Elk Research Institute to help fund the uh, research that we were, we were mm -hmm. trying to do. And, and basically there is um, some elk and a very, very small percentage of them that have a little bit different shaped prion. And so that resists being converted when it comes in contact with one of these rogue prions. And so that's the whole idea behind the, uh, the resistance. And uh, interestingly enough, the, in the deer family, um, they basically all have the same uh, copy of this, this prion. It's a chain of amino acids that's um, uh, 256 amino acids. Interestingly, each species, though, can have different mutations, in, in, uh, uh, which means that they would have a different amino acid in a particular location. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that keeps that, that uh, prion that they have from mutating when it comes in contact with one of these rogue prions. Mm -hmm. So what's been proven is that, is that uh, there is genetic resistance in most species uh, with these slightly different configured prions. Yeah. Where's the Elk Research Institute today? Well, we disbanded the Elk Research Institute mm -hmm. uh, a, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. We just weren't getting the support and so on from government agencies wildlife and, and agencies. wildlife agencies and so on. So I continued this basically on my own. And, and uh, what I've been doing is helping other um, breeders um, introduce these genetics into their herds. Mm -hmm. uh, what we know is that if you have susceptible animals, if, if you have elk that have this basic susceptible copy of this prion, um, eventually they do get CWD. Mm. And it's been, you know, this has happened all across North America. And you look at pockets where CWD, uh, where the infection rate has gone up. And we see areas where, um, like in Saskatchewan, maybe a couple hundred elk ranches have gone out of business. Mm. Um, once it gets into your herd, it spreads pretty quickly. Okay, so tell us about ElkQuest now and that part of your legacy that is being carried on. Well, I've, I formed ElkQuest because that was our best vehicle to, to raise funds. and To fund. To, to fund and pr ERI. promote what we were trying yeah. to do. So um, what my goal was originally was to um, breed for the very best um, elk that had all of these other traits that were important to elk. And uh, antler growth being a, one of them. Antler growth, but also typical antlers. We wanted these elk to look like elk. Elk, right. Yeah, and, uh, but we looked at all of the things that, that contribute to, to um, recruitment rates. So, which has to do with conception, the ability for those cows to carry their calves and to be good mothers and to deliver a healthy calf back into that herd every fall. 
So uh, we look for, for bulls, we check fertility, and that truly didn't seem to be too much of a problem. And um, we had concerns about inbreeding and so on, which we really didn't prove to be a problem. But we, we, bottom line was we tried to develop the, the very best quality elk that we could that were carrying this resistant genotype. And where are those elk now? Well, I've got a ranch with um, uh, 235 on it mm -hmm. today. Uh, Travis uh, Reed has taken over ElkQuest mm -hmm. and doing a fabulous job with the hunting and so on. And he's also put a facility on his place mm -hmm. and um, is is carrying on that tradition. Mm -hmm. And so the, the concept is that uh, if you can establish uh, a resistant elk herd on uh, CWD-free ground, you probably will never, ever have a problem. Now, that's not to say that CWD may not be introduced into that environment, and it could be from a crow flying over. And the feces from the crow, after he eats infected meat, ah. would get into the environment, yeah. or a coyote. Sure. Um, I mean, there's very, there, there, there's, it's going to be very difficult, no matter how many fences you have up, to yeah. keep CWD from initially being introduced into an environment. You can't fence out a raven. You can't fence out a raven. So, but what you can do is keep the, that level very, very low. Yeah. And the way that you can keep it low is by having only resistant cervids in there. Yeah. That, and it, it seems like the, the um, that there's a dosage rate, there's, a, there, there, there's a, 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 an infection level that has to be obtained before these animals are going to get it. The, the, oh, okay. the exposure, yep. uh, the, the, the um, uh, resistant animals appear to have to be exposed to fairly high levels before they're going to get it. I think that we've got other tools that are going to help us. Um, they're, they're, they're developing better live animal tests now. Mm, yeah, that's right. Heard about this. And so in uh, where you can have a captive herd or controlled herd, and um, if you ever suspect that CWD has been introduced into that herd, um, you can cull. So I, th I think we've got enough tools now that we truly can have sustainable captive herds mm -hmm. to promote this species. Okay, mm -hmm. so we're going back into the woods today and we're gonna be hunting elk. What advice do you have for um, our hunters? How much time do you have? This could take a while. <laughs> do you want me to tell you all the things that hunters do wrong <laughs> that oh. happens? <laughs> I would love to, for you to tell me all the things that well, hunters do well, wrong. Well, I think one of the favorite things that, that um, happens with novice hunters is they show up with a gun that's way too big. Oh yeah. They think that, that to kill an elk, you gotta have the biggest, biggest gun possible. Mm -hmm. And you need a scope that is uh, very high powered. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that, first of all, elk can be very hard to see. Yeah. Um, you know, they blend in and uh, a big bull can stand on a hillside that's full of oak brush and be looking right at you and a lot of hunters can't see it. But then you couple that with having to have that hunter get onto that elk in a matter of a few seconds and they've got a 36 power scope. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they don't have a, they cannot find that, that elk. And then the next thing is that they're using some super magnum that they're absolutely scared of. So 
it doesn't really help to close your eyes when you're pulling the trigger. It's yeah. hard to keep on the elk when you're doing that and you're pulling your when you're closing your eyes and flinching. Mm -hmm. So I, I think one of the hardest things for, for novice hunters is being able to actually pick up the animal and to get on it quickly enough yeah. uh, with their gun to to um, to find a good spot, you know, to, to shoot. Yeah. So what do you tell them when when they're trying to pick out a spot on the animal? What do you stay calm? Yeah. Yeah, and what about on the animal? Well, the, the, the animal, you um, d depending on, on how good a shot they are and how much mm -hmm. confidence I have and how far away they are and so on. But basically we try to get, uh, we try to put a, a shot through the heart and lung area. So if they're standing uh, exactly broadside to us, uh, we try to shoot just behind the shoulder. Just, I mean, keep it far forward and, and maybe six, eight inches up from the bottom. If they're quartering uh, either to you or away from you, if they're quartering uh, to you, you try to shoot for that front shoulder. So the bullet will go through that shoulder and through that heart-lung area. Yeah. So you look at where that leg is, and that's how you line up your, your vertical crosshair. If they're quartering away from you, you can see the opposite leg. And so you try to line your vertical crosshair up on that far side. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then you'll, you'll send a bullet through the heart-lung area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then what's your favorite caliber for elk hunters? One that they can shoot well. Yeah. I mean, truly, I think that the more important thing is um, is to have a good hunting bullet, a good, uh, a well-constructed bullet that stays together. Elk are big animals. They've got um, they've got heavy bones. I've seen a lot of bullets that are way too light for elk. They blow up. Uh, they don't get the penetration. They cause an awful lot of tissue damage uh, on the surface and ruin a lot of meat, but really don't do the job. So I like I like the uh, all copper bullets. I think they're a, they're a very good mm -hmm. bullet. You know, most of the manufacturers have a variety of bullets. If you if you look at the variety of bullets that different manufacturers have, one of the bullets that I particularly like is the Nozzle Acubon. Mm -hmm. It's a bullet that stays together. You have to be careful on on some of the bullets that are really designed to be long-range bullets, mm -hmm. because those are uh, bullets that are designed to really work optimally at slower velocities. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of the kind of guys that I like to get up close and personal. Um, and I tell the guys that when they show up with a rifle, that is, um, they can tell you all of the 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 trajectory drops and how much energy it's got at different ranges and you know they they, they can hit anything out to 800 yards i tell them they came to the wrong guy because i'm going to teach them how to hunt yeah that's right yeah <laughs> when we when we were um out here together in 2012 we used a tranquilizer gun that's right yeah and i had to be at what 25 20 yards yard. 25 yeah. yards mm -hmm. yeah and i remember that tranquilizer dart going pop yeah <laughs> and then yeah. hanging there at the back of that ball yeah. yeah the trick with those tranquilizer darts was if you if we put too much powder behind them yeah and we shot them too close they damaged tissue that that where that was a 50 caliber dart right it would hit that them pretty really hard really opened my eyes when people say well why don't you just tranquilize that bear or why don't you just tranquilize that lion and remove it you it's hard to hit an animal with a tranquilizer. You've got to be the right distance, and you got to yeah. be the right person. You got to be the right—that's <laughs> for sure. I agree. 
Barry, what's your uh, favorite thing about Colorado? Wow. I enjoy all the different types of hunting yeah. in Colorado. Yeah. I think we've got tremendous opportunities here. We've got a variety of species to hunt. Great and, history. Yeah, and uh, and really some good quality animals mm -hmm. here still. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love that we can, um, that we've got bighorn sheep. Yeah. And we've, we've got desert as well as Rocky oh, Mountain. Right. Uh, we've got goats. Top elk state, isn't it? Is I think we. I think that we. Uh, yeah, I think we have got more elk than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. What attracted you to buy a herd of elk? Well, elk are an absolutely amazing animal. You know, there, there's very few things that that get a hunter as excited as able to uh, call an elk in to you know have them come in the the hair on, on back of your neck stands up when they come in, you know, screaming. Yeah. And you're, I've, I've had cases where I've been working a bull and getting really close to him and, and really excited about it. And absolutely knowing I'm getting a shot. And all of a sudden, five feet behind me, I hear another bugle and one has come in to yeah. challenge whatever we're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's those kinds of encounters and they're always different. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you get more interaction, I think, with your, uh, the animal that you're hunting yeah. with elk than probably any, any other animal. Yeah. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing here on Ballistic Chronicles, if you want to support free speech and good hunting content in the Internet age, look for our coffee and books at GaryLewisOutdoors.com. We have two coffees, Ground in Seattle, Washington, from Expedition Joe. One is a medium dark coffee called Frontier Roast. It's a good sipping coffee for deer camp and a great gift. The other is a dark roast called Fishing Central Oregon Reserve, and it's what I'm drinking right now. Great for cold mornings between fishing spots and a great spring bear hunt coffee. We recommend our latest book, Bob Nosler, Born Ballistic. You can find it on our website and on nosler.com and Amazon too. We have a limited supply of our new Ballistic Chronicles hip flask. You can package this with one of our classic deer hunting or John Nosler going ballistic books for only $15 more. If you want the Ballistic Chronicles hip flask, we make it real easy for you. Send me a note at GaryLewisOutdoors at gmail.com.